Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. My name is Gwen Reyes. And I'm Danielle Dresser. This is a podcast where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. We also dig into publishing industry news and stories that you may have missed. Today, Danielle and I are going to talk about indulgences. We also chat a little bit with Angelina M. Lopez about her new book, Serving Sin, and so much more. Gwen and I also update each other on our goals from last episode and talk about what's bringing us comfort this week. Yay! Awesome! Awesome! Uh, Danielle, it is so good to hear your voice. I feel like it's been, again, a million years since I last it talked really to you. It really has. Yeah. <laughs> it really, I mean, it's just that busy time of year, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, summer, you moved. <laughs> I, yeah, I have to occupy my child's time now. So, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I know I agree. Same because we're used to seeing, seeing in quotation marks, each other a lot more frequently. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what's, what's new, what's going on? Oh man, there is so much change in the wind. So, um, I am moved into my apartment, which is good. I know I mentioned that the last episode, um, we moved in, we got our couch, which was very exciting. You'll get to hear Mm -hmm. more about that in the um, later in the episode. Yeah. And um, just getting, getting to know our new neighborhood, a new area, um, mm-hmm. debating if I'm going to go try to make friends or not. I don't know. About <laughs> I don't know how adults make friends. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's like, how do you meet new people? That is tough, but it's like, you obviously want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. like this is your new place of residence. Yeah. Um, and then, but it's, and then everything is so up in the air right now with like, how comfortable are people with interacting? And I mean, even I, like how comfortable am I interacting, you know, with real people? So, yep. <laughs> so it's just, it's, yeah, I feel for you that, yeah, that has to be kind of a weird feeling. Yeah. It's, it's so strange. Cause I didn't really like kind of, I was so excited about the move that I didn't really put into perspective like what it was going to be like once I had my foot on like my feet on the ground and was Mm -hmm. trying to live a life like I was like oh it'll be fine whatever it's easy to do all these things and just the basics like getting my driver's license changed yeah or or like making new friends or deciding what vet to take my dog to like just Mm -hmm. things like this that I've never really had to consider before because it's always just been my backyard I now I'm like very overwhelmed and also compartmentalizing a lot, like trying to decide which ones are important to deal with and which ones aren't. It is. It's like, you have to find a dentist. Yeah. I have to find a dentist and none of them will call me back. (laughs) And it's also like a pandemic. So I didn't get Mm -hmm. my teeth done last year. So it's a whole delay. Like I feel disgusting, (laughs) (laughs) but what about you? How are you doing? Good. It's, um, you know, it last week was the first full week of summer break, which was really fun. And we just like, didn't have bedtime. Like Ivy just stayed up as long as she wanted to within reason. But, uh, you know, and we, she slept in, I even like not, I didn't really sleep in, but like (laughs) I tried to sleep in, I'll say, um, yeah. And that was, you know, it was all, it was all really fun. And, and, and I'm excited to have a different routine in place. That's really great. And just as summer goes on, we'll just continue to figure it out because she's got all of her little summer camps and her dance class and 
all that other good stuff. So, but that's been fun. It it was fun to kind of just have a relaxed week of not really doing too much, which is just much needed after this past school year of remote learning. Oh my gosh, exactly. (laughs) It's like you both needed that sort of Mm self-care spa day. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) So what's been one good thing you've achieved this week? Oh man. Okay. So one good thing that I've achieved this week is that, um, I have gone, I have done physical activity every single day Mm, because, um, I have to walk my dog. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I'm really loving it. I feel healthier. My, my, you know, I'm a little less cold because the blood's moving through my skin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think just, again, moving more, feeling happy, getting those endorphins going is, is a yeah. good, good feeling. What about you? Let me see. I've been, in fact, I'm going to pull up my, my spreadsheet. I've been reading oh, yeah. a lot lately. I don't know what it is, but I, yeah, I just, I feel like I've just been like going through books, which is oh, great. Oh yeah. And and yeah, and it's been fun. So I've been reading this graphic novel series that's a few years old, but it's been kind of popping up because I think FX and Hulu are making a TV show out of it called Why the Last Man. It's by written by Brian K. Vaughn. I think mm-hmm. I'm saying his name right. Um, and he wrote, he's more well known for like saga, the saga series yeah. that I'm obsessed with. But so I was like, but it has kind of, it's not, the same but it's similar enough in the vibe of it that I really like it um so I've been making my way through that and yeah so that's going to be really fun but then I read this book that I just finished over the weekend called Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood it is an Ethiopian fantasy Jane Eyre retelling yo (laughs) I know I it doesn't get and I feel bad because it's one of it doesn't come out till November so I got a really early review copy oh man (laughs) but it was really good now I'm gonna like admit the Jane Eyre comparisons or like kind of parallels work in some ways and in some ways you're just kind of like but overall it was really compelling it was really interesting I'm really excited for it. We'll link to it in show notes because the cover is amazing. It's really, really beautiful. Um, Yeah, I really liked it. But yeah, I've just been like going through that. I've been reading a bunch of romance novels per usual. Um, In fact, I've been doing a lot of review copy reading. So I'm not going to talk too much. I mean, I feel bad recommending a book that's coming out in November, but I feel like people, you're going to start hearing more about this book because it was really well done. She's a Lauren Blackwood is a great writer. Um, yeah. You heard it here first guys. Yeah. I highly, highly recommend it. I really like it. And I, I think if you're at all interested in any of those things, Ethiopia fantasy Mm -hmm. or Jane Eyre, there's this some- is a great book. <laughs> There's something for everyone. Yeah. And what is it called again, Danielle? It's called Within These Wicked Walls. Oh, what a cool ass title too. Yeah. It's really, it, I really enjoyed myself reading it. Nice. Oh man. That <laughs> is the greatest feeling in the world when you just kind of get on a reading kick and you don't mm-hmm. really know how or why it started and when yep. it's going to end, but you're just going to ride it until it does. Yeah. 
I really, yeah, I have, I've been having a lot of fun reading. So that has been really great. Okay. So let's switch gears and talk about indulgences. Um, I just think this is like a, such a fun thing to talk about because I think indulgences sometimes get lumped into like the guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. situation, like where people feel almost feel bad about enjoying something. But I think the thing about indulgence and indulgences and indulging in something is that it's like purely pleasurable and it brings, it's completely superfluous, but it brings happiness. And, and I really thought we could just kind of dive into it and, and yeah, and kind of tie it to pop culture a bit, I think. And then just talk about some of our own indulgences and hopefully give give our listeners some ideas on how to indulge on their own mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah. We are pro indulging in this, uh, yeah. this podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Well, cool. um, yeah. So why don't you start? Yeah. So I think whenever I think of indulging in, in pop culture and in what I consume, it's always got to be like high dollar, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also just very <laughs> rich and lush and luxurious and just like very atmospheric because I of course have always talked about Real Housewives and Succession Mm -hmm. and I I was like oh the ones I always talk about let's do something different today yeah so I picked um 365 days (laughs) by uh Blanca Lipinska which um it's a Polish trilogy it's a mafia story um, about a uh, heir to a mafia throne. I don't know if it's throne or dynasty or whatever. Yeah. And again, another mm-hmm. element of these stories is like this all-consuming romance and, and um, sweepingness to it. It is just over the top, wild. The books are really good. The uh, the first one is just adapted in um, to a English language show that came out last year. And they're filming mm-hmm. the second one right now. Um, and it's sexy and shiny and I absolutely love it. I also think that shows like Million Dollar Listing and Selling Sunset and The Big yeah. Day are all ones that really kind of scratch that aspirational lifestyle um, reality show vibe. Uh, Million Dollar Listing is as it, it it's exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It is um, a show on Bravo where they go to different markets and sell multi-million dollar homes and race to <laughs> the drama to see who can get the yeah. best house and they are uh it's one of those shows I watch on and off I don't it's like it's the background show because I don't really care they're all very whiny and it's also just such a (laughs) huge amount of money that I cannot fathom what it would be like to drop on an apartment in the sky in New York City because it's gross like who wants to be in New York (laughs) (laughs) then on the other side of that you have Selling Sunset which is Mm -hmm. all about moving property in California and Los Angeles beautiful estates again that are unfathomable monetarily but um, are just beautiful to look at and then also one that I just recently discovered is The Big Day um, on Netflix Um, I don't know if you've seen this show at all Danielle but it is um, a wedding show that takes Mm -hmm. place in India and couples all have their big blowout Indian weddings and so they're just that sounds fun fabulous pretty much anything that is all that screams old Hollywood also yeah. has that sort of indulging dripping sort of thing. So I picked for that with sunset Boulevard and imitation mm. of life. Yeah. Um, are both two really great films that uh, 
have such pure escapism, but that are also just like feasts for the eyes. Yeah, I agree. I love how old Hollywood films are like so saturated with color. Yes. You know, and then obviously, and in a lot of those films, like the, because color was so new at that time, like color was such a big symbol. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so like just thinking of like, even like the Wizard of Oz, like in how they changed the shoes from silver to Ruby. Yeah. And, you know, and I just think I, I love that though. I love when you, yeah, you watch old movies and they're oh, just yeah. so rich with color. That yeah. Technicolor is just so, mm-hmm. mm, it's my favorite. I wish they would make movies like that still. It's almost like our, our cameras are too good now. Like I modern know. film just is too crisp to get that huh. big, bold eye candy. Mm-hmm. I mean, La La Land kind of did that. I mean, I, you know, like you can think people can think what they want about La La Land, but I loved literally like watching that movie mm-hmm. because it was so pretty it was very yeah. like again saturated and and all those different color dresses meant something in that opening <laughs> you know it's true <laughs> i thought of shows like which i think i've talked about I, i've definitely talked about gossip girl but like i was thinking about kind of in the like right before the 2010s began so like the mm-hmm. late early aughts <laughs> um <laughs> It's like, does that make sense? I don't know. But anyway, I was thinking of like Gossip Girl and Revenge and, <sighs> you know, they like rebooted 90210 and they yep. rebooted Dynasty and that came a little later. Melrose Place. They had the Melrose Place yeah, reboot. Melrose Place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like they don't do this as much like these shows, these like dramas, like these, you know, soap, soapy dramas, primetime dramas aren't as just like unabashedly like about wealthy people anymore. Uh-huh. There definitely are wealthy characters. Cause like, I'm thinking of like, well, I mean, you know, you think of like Grey's Anatomy, like they're all doctors, like they're all loaded, you know, yeah. but, but then also even on like Riverdale and there, there are definitely characters on that show who have a ton of money, but like Gossip Girl and, and Revenge, it was just everyone on that show was outrageously wealthy even like the poor characters were still like you know they owned apartments in New York it's like you don't you don't do that I I love that I'm really interested in the Gossip Girl reboot like I don't think it's necessary but I'm very interested in it I'm Mm -hmm. definitely going to be checking that out and then so to take it to books I was thinking about Harlequin's desire line which is very much set in the world of like kind of the, they call it the American elite. You know, it's like these very wealthy families. They're usually old money. And then if they are new money, it's like they are trying to, you know, validate their themselves in society. And usually at least one of the characters, like main characters comes from money and they're, they just don't even think about the way they're spending money. And every Mm -hmm. so often you do get a character who's like, no, you don't have to just spend money to spend money. Like you should actually use it for good. You see this in like, I think two of my favorite Harlequin Desire authors who I know I've mentioned both of on the show before, but are Naima Simone. And one of her more recent ones was Back in the Texan's Bed, which is a secret baby book, which mm-hmm. I normally am not a big fan of secret babies, but I, if anyone could do it, Naima could. Um, and it's about, it's like kind of about a woman who she's a chef and for reasons in the past, she had to leave when she 
accidentally got pregnant and the guy that she was in love with, it was like kind of the heir to this business, you know, dynasty kind of throwing around the word dynasty a lot. I feel like this episode. That's part Um, of indulging, man. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and they eventually kind of come back together and, and they have to figure it out. And of course he discovers that he has this toddler now and, and it's this whole thing. Um, and then another one I want to mention is waking up married by Reese Ryan. Reese Ryan will be our guest pretty soon Yay. on the podcast who, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to dive in more to talking about romance tropes. So that's just a little sneak peek, but in her book, waking up married part of her bourbon Brothers series. And it's about this family that owns a whiskey business and, and they may, or a whiskey distillery. It's actually a both like, Oh, we went to Vegas and got super drunk and now we're married and we don't <laughs> remember getting married. And then it mm-hmm. also is kind of a marriage of convenience because they're friends. So they decide to just try to stay married. Yeah. And then I was saying, you brought up the housewives. And I think too, you got this with the Kardashians, a look into their lifestyle when it comes to Mm -hmm. what we talk about reality TV. A lot of these reality shows usually have a component where someone is like incredibly wealthy. And it's just like, we're watching other people spend their money in like, yeah, ways that we more than likely never will be able to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now let's talk about some of the things that we do in, in our lives that we consider indulgent. My first one, this is no order or anything. I'm just reading from one to five. Okay. The first thing that popped in my head of an indulging situation is taking a long shower, Mm -hmm. putting on lotion on my entire body Mm -hmm. and getting into a bed of fresh sheets. I love this. That is the the greatest feeling. (laughs) It really is. And, oh, and you have to shave your legs. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you, so so my husband is out of town. He went camping um, (laughs) and I like waited extra long to change our bed sheets, which is kind of gross, but I was like, oh, you're leaving. I'm going to have fresh sheets just to myself. (laughs) I love it so much. It's something I would do and have done. During the pandemic, I started, I did one of the like beauty box subscriptions. I did an Ipsy subscription and it's so fun every month. Cause you get to like, you, you get to go through and like choose your product and you can add on products. And then I think my favorite part about getting an Ipsy subscription or getting the envelope is that it's bright pink Mm -hmm. and it's just like, you open up the mailbox and it's like this little pink package just for me. Um, (laughs) I do have to, though, my daughter gets just as excited mm-hmm. and she sees like, and so everything comes in like these cute little makeup bags. And so like, I have to like hide them from her. Cause then she wants to take them. I do give them to her every so often. I mean, it's ridiculous. I get a makeup bag every month. It's outrageous, <laughs> but, but sometimes I'm just like, no, this is really cute. I'm yeah. You're like, no, this is the one for me. <laughs> But yeah, and I think because and it's, you know, it's not too pricey. I think I just do like the basic one. And I think it's like $13 a month. Yeah, it's and so cheap. Yeah. It, and the fact that you're getting you and you can make samples last. I am like the type of person like I will make a sample last. This is both the name of the place and the time of day that you should go and do it is a midnight cookie run. In the complex that I live in, there is a uh, little kiosk. I don't, I don't know what these things are called yet. I gotta learn the words and terminology for things <laughs> out here. I was like in the parking lot near where I live is a little, yeah. a little shack and <laughs> they sell cookies out of it. 
and they're delicious yeah. <laughs> and I can walk there and it's called midnight cookies and you can, uh, order them for $10, get six cookies, walk down there, feel healthy that you walked yeah. six minutes to, uh, the end of the street and then be home with some s'mores cookies. Enjoy. That's your awesome. My favorite. Okay. The s'mores is good. My favorite is the fruity pebbles cookie. Ooh. It is like a, um, cereal corn cookie like if you got from milk bar and yeah. then they put fruity pebbles on top of it and it is delicious that sounds amazing so my next indulgence is also food related but it's ordering lunch at least once a week this is also something i started doing the pandemic which now that i'm like looking at this i'm like this is interesting that i i guess i really thought about indulgences in a way mm -hmm. Or at least probably more of like, it's more like a comfort thing. Like, what can I do to have a little bit of fun during yeah. this whole process? But now I'm just continuing to do them. So <laughs> now <laughs> you're yeah. indulging in the comfort. Yeah. I mean, it, and it started out as just something to do. You know, we were all at home. Like my mm -hmm. husband was working out of his office in the basement. I was with my daughter figuring out what you do with a kindergartner who, I mean, she did have like a call once or twice a week or whatever with her class, but it really mm -hmm. was like, what do we do in the meantime? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then also just for me too, I was like, what's something that we can do that we could look forward to that isn't crazy, but like during the week, we would just, we really don't eat out for lunch really. And even dinner, like it, we save it for the weekends. It would be anything from like Panera or Potbelly or even like McDonald's or Wendy's like, but just once a week we would go out to lunch. And that seemed really special. It'd be on like yeah. Tuesday or Wednesday and yeah. And, and we still do, we still do it. <laughs> Man. I love that. That's yeah. great. And it feels special to get like a delivery, like a food delivery in mm -hmm. the middle of the day. Like that's, yes. that's exciting. So my next one is also food related, still keeping in the, uh, Mm -hmm. theme. Um, so I have really indulged this last couple of days in Rachel's ginger beer, mm -hmm. which is a local, uh, ginger beer from here, um, that they have out in Pike place, uh, but you can order it online. Um, and if you go online, you'll see they're very pricey, but they have like growlers and stuff. And so we have been make we made spiced pineapple mules mm. or dark and stormies because we just yeah. mixed it with um the ginger beer with the uh, rum and it was delicious that and great that helped get through the rest of the unpacking that we had to do yesterday <laughs> <laughs> awesome again i think we're sticking with food. it's interesting that we're both talking about food kind of yeah now we're talking about drinks <laughs> yeah um but yeah because i now, during normal circumstances, I definitely would go to Starbucks more than just once a week. But because mm -hmm. I was just trying to like limit leaving my house <laughs> yeah. for a while, I would, but I would go at least to the drive through. Yeah. At least once a week, usually more than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and again, it was just it it really it, it just felt special. It was like oh, we're leaving the house, even just to drive somewhere. And yeah, and and I think I'm going to continue to do that. It, actually, I've I've been going like less than usual, so it is really special, you know. Mm -hmm. Just uh, you know, instead of going like you know a few times a week, I'm just going like once a week and making it feel like a big deal. So yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think is the most indulgent Starbucks drink to order? You know what I just got is they have a funnel cake frappuccino. Oh. Did you try it? I did. I don't even like funnel cake in real life, uh -huh. 
but it's so good. Oh my god! Like I yeah. honestly, I don't even know if I'm gonna get another one. <laughs> it was so sugary and really sweet. But I'm really, in fact, my real one of my really good friends, Tina, was like, she like texted our like text chain. She was like, "Go get this." <laughs> it was so good, and we were like, "What?" And and a bunch of us, and we all did. We all like went out and got that. Got it. And we're delicious. Yeah. But again, I I honestly, I, maybe I'll have another one. I don't know. It was very it was like indulge, it was indulgent yeah yeah and, you know with and with the whipped cream like I don't like skimp on that stuff no, you know? like no. you gotta just get it how they made it to be Absolutely. <laughs> Seattle donuts <laughs> still just eating my way through yeah. the city it's all shapes and sizes this week I had little these little um mini ones that you can get again at Pike Place that look like little butts and they shake them, <laughs> they shake them up in like cinnamon and sugar and maple, I uh, put maple glaze on them. They'll do like sprinkles. Oh. Um, they just have plain cake, but they're uh, little. So you feel like, you know, you're, you can indulge an entire bag and it's okay. <laughs> so my next one, I am pivoting away from food, <laughs> but I'm going to say all of the different streaming services because we subscribe. I love this. To far too Me many. Too. Yeah. We don't, we definitely do not watch them as much as we could, which is probably a good thing. But then it's also like, why are we paying for it then? Yeah. But I, you know, it's like, oh, but I do want to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and I also want to watch Insecure on HBO. And I also want to watch Shrill on Hulu. You know, like I have like one show, which is how they get you because yeah. they have like this one thing that you really want to watch. It's one of those things that, is an indulgence, I think, because it, it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got oh, it. <laughs> but we're stuck so, with it. I yeah. know. And it's, oh. okay, so my last one is also still food. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was very hungry when I made this list this morning. Is I'm going to pronounce this wrong, and I apologize, but uh, omakase kase sushi menu. So it's the trust me sushi menu where you pay a fixed price, and they give you like anywhere between tw- ten and fifteen pieces of sushi. That's just depending mm. on what they're feeling like offering you. Yeah, uh, and it's they're really fun because the sushi is one of those foods that like again you either I always feel like I either go crazy at and just get the Mm. boat and eat all of it and just can't stop. And then I'm sick for a day or like I eat just a reasonable amount and I'm hungry like an hour later. There's really (laughs) no in between with sushi. Also, it's hard to enjoy not at the restaurant. And so with Mm -hmm. being with pandemic, not being able to go, it's been really crappy, but this has been, this is a nice way to be able to get like a little bit of everything Mm-hmm. And have like a little miniature indulgence at home yeah. and then you're in your pajamas and can go straight to sleep afterwards <laughs> that yeah. is my my view on a 12 course sushi menu I love it my final indulgence to talk about is buying books and I want to I guess I'm gonna like not digress totally, but explain what I mean, because you and I are in a very nice position where we get a lot of books either sent to us or they're submitted for review to the website, to Fresh Fiction. And we just, we, they're there and we can read them usually (laughs) months before, like I, like I was just saying months before they're available. But so, so I don't buy a ton of books. I do buy books, but I don't buy a ton of books. Mm -hmm. And I feel very fortunate, 
but I do love, I still love buying books, going to bookstores and just browsing is like definitely something I miss doing. I've been slowly starting to do that a little bit more. Um, but recent books that I've bought from, from local booksellers, um, that I, that I like to support, nearby me. Um, but I, I bought this great book called why she wrote, which is by the host of the podcast bonnets at dawn. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of a historical ish podcast where they, they look at, it started out because one of them really loves Jane Austen and one of them really loves the Bronte. So it was like Austin versus Bronte. So Bonnets at Dawn, it's like dueling at dawn. But they wrote a book and it's also a graphic novel about women writers throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, maybe in the 20th centuries too, but it's this really beautiful, it's published by Chronicle. It's a really beautiful hardcover book with great illustrations and like really nice explanations that provide context. And it's just, I'm really excited that I, that I bought it and didn't just like download a review copy. It was really, I really felt like it was worth it. Um, another book that I, that I also, I really feel like books that feel nice are very mm -hmm. indulgent, even if they're, whether they're hardcover or paperback. And so one book that I just bought from Love Sweet Arrow, our friends at Love Sweet Arrow, um, is Wild Women and the Blues by Denny S. Bryce. It's one of the best covers of this year. It's like this beautiful black flapper in this bright green, like peacock style, you know, flapper dress. Mm -hmm. And it's got the jewels so and the beautiful. headpiece and the feathers. Um, but it just, it feels nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I really love it. And that book itself is very, even, you know, some of what goes on and is very indulgent because it took place in the roaring twenties. Um, so that's really nice. And then this is a little bit of a cheat because I got this for Mother's Day, but I was looking for a cover for it and saw how much it actually costs. And it, but it's a Kindle Oasis. So this is mm -hmm. not just a book, but it is it's a new e-reader for me. I know it's been out available for a while. Um, but yeah, it was my Mother's Day gift. And Aww. when I did see how much it cost, I was like, that was, you're not getting to my husband. I was like, you're not <laughs> getting that nice of a gift for Father's Day. Unless you have something very specific. That you would like, put it in yeah. the wish list. <laughs> because I was like, I did not ask for, I said I wanted a new Kindle. I thought I was going to get like another paperweight. But I mean, I'm, I'm making fun, but I'm very grateful. And it is very nice. And in fact, I keep meaning to like, look up what more I should do with it. Because I was uh -huh. There's got to be, what am I missing? There's got to be something, <laughs> something going on. Um, but no, that, and it, and it is, it's a really nice reading experience and it like the light dimmer, it like automatically dims the lights for you, depending on the oh, brightness in so your room nice. and outside. It is waterproof. I should say that too. So that's probably really what the cost is about, but it felt very indulgent when I got it and I, and I love it and I read on it literally every day. So those are our indulgences. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> I like that. Um, so yeah, so we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with our interview with Angelina and Lopez and her book serving sin actually kind of fits in because it's about an heiress mm -hmm. and a reluctant prince of like this tiny, like Spanish kingdom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I do want to give everyone a heads up that we do briefly talk about violence against women and sexual assault because the heroine of Angelina's book is a survivor of abduction and sexual assault. So we wanted to make sure any listeners who are sensitive to that knew about this ahead of time.
Our guest today is Angelina M. Lopez. Angelina writes sexy contemporary stories about strong women and the confident men lucky enough to fall in love with them. She has been writing professionally her whole life, first as a journalist for an acclaimed city newspaper, then as a freelance magazine writer and content marketer for small businesses, and now as a romance author. Serving Sin is the third book in your Filthy Rich series, and it's a bodyguard romance. That's right. Um, Can you give us a little series rundown to catch our listeners up to speed and tell us where you got the idea for this book in particular? Yeah, sure. So the whole series is called the Filthy Rich series. And uh, we say it's about powerful, wealthy women who get what they want because they've earned it. And so the first book in the series is called Lush Money, and it is about a self-made Mexican-American billionaire businesswoman who essentially kind of rents a prince. (laughs) She asks the prince to impregnate her. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, wants him to impregnate. She wants three nights a month with him for a year. And at the end of that year, with hopes that she's pregnant at the end of that year, she will give him enough money to save a struggling wine growing kingdom that her goal is she wants a royal baby to put the cherry on top of her perfect life. You know, in theory, obviously, there's Mm -hmm. going to be lots of of, uh, real life impediments in the way. But (laughs) so the whole series idea started with the idea of billionaire businesswoman. And I really want to look at power and how that plays out when a woman holds it. And so the whole series was about powerful, wealthy women. The second uh, book is Hate Crush. And Hate Crush is about, so the first book is a Spanish prince. The Mm -hmm. second book is the heroine is his sister, the Spanish princess. But this Mm -hmm. is a really struggling kingdom. So it's not like this kingdom is uber wealthy. They grow wine grapes. So wine is very important to them. But um, so she has her own, she is a, becomes a millionaire through the course of the first book. Mm-hmm. On the second book, she's a millionaire. She is trying to open a winery. This is Hate Crush. And mm-hmm. she um, um, has to, it has to fake a relationship with the man who broke her heart 10 years earlier. So it's second chance romance, but that's about a millionaire winemaker princess. <laughs> Yeah. So Serving Sin is the last, the final book uh, in the series, the final, the Filthy Rich series. And it is about a Mexican heiress turned CEO of her father's company. So the heroine is Mexican heiress, heiress um, CEO. And the hero is the another Spanish prince who is connected to the wine growing family, connected yeah. to the Spanish kingdom. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, all three books is looking at um, all, at these powerful women and how it's reflected. And the through line being this royal Spanish family that has wine grapes in their, in their midst. Yeah. So. We should say too, this is my favorite fun fact about you, is that your family owns a winery. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I thought of the first idea. I was sitting, I had I was sitting at my parents' vineyard and um I was just writing, I had had this idea for a billionaire businesswoman and instantly knew she was gonna be Mexican American. Mm-hmm. Um and knew that there was a bait like okay, a baby deal, baby contract. Yeah. And then I thought the prince and what's the, what's the prince have on the line? And I was just literally just writing a summary, like a one paragraph summary. And I said, and the prince and his kingdom does, 
and I look up, I'm outside at the vineyard. I'm like, they grow wine grapes. Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, like generationally known for these beautiful wine grapes that they would send to Queen Isabella. And, and so she was like, you guys get a kingdom. You guys get to be called a principality. <laughs> and it all kind of came. It was a very organic, that first book was very organic. And then mm-hmm. all three books, um, but again, the most, it, it's so, so there's a through line of wine as well through the book. It's not as prevalent in serving sin, mm-hmm. um, but um, it, it was a very organic story about two, two things that were powerful to me, power, uh, were important to me, mm-hmm. powerful women and wine. <laughs> <laughs> we love how high stakes the book is. Um, Roman and Cenobia have a history. He saved her from kidnapping many years ago. And since then, Sen has always harbored feelings for him, which is just juicy and wonderful. Yeah. He's also uh, the only person she can trust to keep her safe as new threats rise against her. How do you, how do you bring um, the drama to your books and where do you get your inspiration from? Wow. How do I bring the drama to my books? It kind of happens pretty um, organically on the page. Uh, I'm a longtime romance fan and advocate. It's it's almost this title now I could put under myself because um, I've been reading, I'm 47. I've been reading since I was 12. I, in my mid twenties, I really embraced both being proud of the genre because yeah. of what it could do, what it did, um, telling a woman's story, women creators, women, you know, prevalent in the business, all of that. Um, and really focusing on a woman's journey. And um, so, and decided about my late twenties that I really wanted to try to write this, that I wanted to focus. I was doing a lot of other things, raising children, but it was like, eventually I want to be, a romance author. I'd always written and always knew writing was my profession and wanted to be a fiction writer, but didn't really uh, put a lot of energy towards it until my late twenties. So as a longtime romance fan and advocate, it's, it's understanding. I mean, the, the, the pacing of a romance novel, the conflict orientation, the raising the stakes is like part of my writing DNA. It's something I almost you know, it would be interesting to try to try to write in other genres to see if I could manipulate that a bit. I, you know, I fundamentally believe romance is genre fiction. So mm-hmm. romance, horror, you know, yeah. uh, mystery, sci-fi, conflict oriented, stakes oriented, all of that. And so with, you know, my debut book, it was always like, you know, this, com- this cu- couple could not be too comfortable together. So raise the stakes, yeah. raise the stakes, raise the stick, stakes. Um, Roman, the hero in Serving Sin, is a bodyguard and he pops up in the book, in the first book in Lush Money. He is the long lost brother of this prince. He's American born, he's a bastard son. They didn't even know he was alive and he pops up. And, And you're not really sure about him in the first book, who is this guy? And quickly kind of understand that he is, he's a former army ranger. He's already been in the press for having, you know, um, saved this Mexican, she was 18, but this Mexican heiress that nobody else could find. He found her, he saved her. So he's already this notable guy and this hero. He's known as this hero. He also has won the Medal of Honor. Like he's a, you know, as just as heroic as a man can be. And he pops up on the scene as a long lost Spanish prince and nobody really knows how to assess him. What you come to understand is he was there to kind of see what's going on. And the second he kind of figures out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, the good guys being his siblings, he mm-hmm. 
stands behind them and says, you know, I'm not a king man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a soldier and I'm here. I've got your back. So you actually know what he is, but he's also very taciturn. He doesn't say a lot. So through the course of Lush Money, the first book, Hate Crush, the second book, you get to understand this guy as being very noble, not saying a lot. <laughs> you know, He's obviously got this massive backstory, but we don't get a clear look at what it is. And right. he will not tell his siblings. I mean, not that he won't, but you know, he's here to help, he's yeah. here to serve, and that's his whole deal. So when he shows up, it's his book, Conserving Sin. It was obviously this book needed to answer a lot of questions about what a taciturn elite bodyguard, <laughs> former army ranger story is. So in terms of conflict, this is an uh-huh. incredibly long answer to your question. No, it's There's fine. no way that his story couldn't involve a ton and ton and ton of high stakes, dramatic conflict. It's just what we've built up to this point. It's right. a reunion story between, you know, he was 26 when he rescued this Mexican heiress. She was 18 freshman in college, you know, he rescued, and now it's 13 years later and she calls him back. She says, I need your help again. You saved me once. You're the, uh, you know, I've got this massive launch of a car. My, my, her family um, is an auto manufacturing company in Mexico. I've got this massive car, massive launch of a new eco car. Yeah. I don't have time to worry about this. I need you to come watch my back and you're the only one I trust. And very willingly, she says, I know it's because of a certain level of, um, you know, um, what I built projected about you. Yeah, like a little bit of like hero worship. Almost. Very, oh, yeah. yeah. She right. doesn't have any problem admitting to yeah. that. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, yeah. I am who I am. I've been through a lot of therapy. I understand. I continue, you know, I understand how that traumatic event affected yeah. me. And here I am today. And so very long ago, the, the conflict came innately to the character because mm-hmm. of who he had to be, because of who the relationship had to be, that it was so high stakes in the beginning that it had to continue that way. You know, mm-hmm. the conflict is almost what they have to overcome to be able to have a for, you know, a normal relationship moving forward. Yeah. The same thing comes with your second question, again, which was like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> was, um, you know, where do my ideas come from? My ideas always come from the character. They're mm-hmm. 100% character driven. Those characters show up on the page, who they innately are, and they drive the pot plot. They drive the conflict. They drive the sex scenes. I hope they're all, those are very distinctive to my characters and my mm-hmm. couples. They drive the love story, who they are on the page and what, you know, I always know who they are, you know, in a paragraph form and what conflict, you know, why it's difficult for them to get together. Those are the first thing I know the second they show up on the page and all of the plot conflict. Yeah. All comes from that. Yeah. That's so cool. Do your, how do your characters come to you? Do they like, do you hear their voices or is it like story? Like, yeah. I think it really is like billionaire businesswoman, uh-huh. you know, unhappy princess, mm-hmm. princess who the, the Sophia in hate crush, the second book was princess who never wants to fall in love again. And, and you just keep asking yourself why, yeah, just, why, mm-hmm. why, why, why? Yeah. And it's a princess. Same thing. This is the, <laughs> the third book. So Zenobia, her name's Zenobia. Mm-hmm. 
Trujillo and her nickname is Sen, that she asks everyone to call her Sen. She is an engineer. She's a mathematician, this wild over the top named Zenobia. She's, mm-hmm. it's just, she's like, I just call me Anna, you know, yeah. <laughs> like anything, yeah. but this really over the top name. Um, she's not a romantic. And so for, she's like to call me Sen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and she's Mexican. So she's speaking Spanish all the time. So all of right, this right, right. Spanish and, and, and she speaks English as well fluently, but, yeah. um, but she was a Mexican heiress turned CEO. First yeah. of all, like why would an heiress become, you know, you heiress implies that you already have that wealth. What's in it for you to become CEO, you know, what would, would matter for her. And then again, like if you're a woman who has everything, you mean you have everything Mexican era, you know, your heiress, it's implied wealth since birth, you're now head of a company. Yeah. Like what could be wrong? What could be hard about your life? Mm-hmm. And it's answering that. So really it, it's the single line of billionaire businesswoman, you know, princess who never falls in love again, CEO, uh, heiress turned CEO. And, yeah. and why? Why? Why can you, why are you unhappy? Come on. <laughs> and again, looking at powerful women and, and really yeah. wanting to full flesh stories about what that looks like. Yeah. The power alone in all three of those books is difficult. Running a company is difficult. Being in charge of a kingdom is difficult. You know, being in charge of thousands of employees, that's hard work. And it's responsibility that everyone, everyone who is in a position of, um, the heroes and heroines who are in positions of power in my book, they mm-hmm. take that. It, it's a weight. It's a weight of responsibility, which was very important to me because I don't think it's reflected a lot of times in the people in power that we have right Great. now. So mm-hmm. I wanted it to matter and be a weight and be difficult because yeah. it will be in real life. If you care about those responsibilities, it's going to be difficult. You brought up the sex scenes between your characters a little bit ago. And I think anyone who's read your books knows you write very steamy romances. <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> and I thought we could talk about what sexy scenes doesn't just have to be sex scenes, but sexy, sensual scenes, what they add to romance. Cause I think that is probably the number one thing that you hear from people who don't mm-hmm. regularly read romance. Mm-hmm. Like, why are they there? Why do you like to read them? Or why do they need to be there? Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. And then we can also dive into what you think makes a great sex scene. So yeah. it's like a question, but yeah, let's talk about sexy scenes, sensual scenes and what they add to a romance. One of the things when I, and I'd mentioned, you know, kind of my mid twenties really kind of defining, I had been a kind of a shamed romance reader that I considered myself very literate, you know, and I'm very early reader, all of that stuff. And I was a journalism major. And so I was very shame acting about my romance reading. I didn't talk about it with people. I didn't, you know, and that at that point it's all paperback. So I'm like hiding them and whatever. About my mid twenties, I just, and I don't know what exactly triggered it, but it was like, these are books by women, for women, about a woman's journey, mm-hmm. her internal journey, her quest for self, her quest for connection. It's about partners. Even then, you know, that would have been late 90s, early 20s, um, early 2000s. It's yeah. like those were about women seeking, finding partners who supported them, who they innately were. Like mm-hmm. how in the world can we define these as bad? And mm-hmm. secondly, they were for me, amazing escapism like 
you know, the real, you know, and I started like as a teen, like, like having like bullies in school and being able, the romance book was the one, this, me understanding, I can't change a bully. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to change grades. I'm going to do things and the situation will end, but I can't affect that. What it can do is get through it. And the way I got through it was allowing my brain to rest by reading romance novels, that it was the one thing that allowed me not to think about stuff that stressed me out. So I value them intensely as like, I didn't have this terminology, but now I value them as mental health. That mm -hmm. was self-care. I didn't mm -hmm. use that back then, but I recognize that. So with that in mind, the other thing that I always thought was problematic about people's reaction to romance was sex, that the reaction yeah. to sex and the way that romance dealt with sex, it's it, it, 80s and 90s writers, again, it's a genre of fiction. Mm -hmm. so a lot of times it's conflict in sex. So, you know, you don't, you did have issues of consent. The other thing was 80s and 90s girls, good girls said yes. Mm -hmm. So good girls say yes. And we need our, those writers needed their heroines to be having sex how did they engender that? Like, how do you allow these women to have these characters have sex? And yet, you know, so societally we're saying good girls saying, did I say good girls say yes? Good girls say no. Good no. <laughs> <laughs> girls, now we've changed that. Yeah, right. Say no. If you're yeah. writing in a society that said good girls say no, how do you yeah. write heroines that good girls mm -hmm. can you yeah. do create lots of issues of conflict and consent mm -hmm. in sex because then the woman, the character is going, no, no. And in her head, she's saying, yes, yes. So we got into a lot of trouble with that. So I don't, you know, I, I don't um, criticize those writers working within the societal confines that they were working oh, in, sure. but still with that in mind, they were still these sexual relationships that embrace that a physical connection was an essential part of falling in love. That yeah. and, it's, and there now we understand that sex, human sexuality has all kinds of colors and stripes mm -hmm. and that lust and sexual connection isn't necessary for a love connection. Mm -hmm. But as animals, we are <laughs> prone to rely on our pheromones to be a big part of love decisions. Right. And so to say that you can have a genre novel, genre fiction novel like romance, that, that is essential about falling in love and then erase from it. One of the most important aspects of falling in love, which is yeah. sex is foolish. Mm -hmm. So the whole, so I, at that point, like I was like, I am never going to be ashamed of a sex scene again, because to yeah. track that is taking away, you know, clue finding in a mystery novel and space travel in a sci-fi novel. Mm -hmm. You take yeah. the sex and, and again, all stripes, all kinds, but yes. you take out the sex of a romance novel, you're taking out of an essential part of what a romance novel is talking about. So that allowed me at a very young age to be like, I love sex scenes. I open books for sex scenes. Yeah. I reread sex scenes multiple times. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just really cultivated my own style of how I write them, but that it's essential to the book. I hope that even though I don't write erotic romance, that people if they skip over my sex scenes, I hope they feel like they've missed something. I hope it's essential to who, what the conflict is, to who the characters are, to how the relationship builds, because I think it's essential to falling in love.
I told you guys I was going to ramble and the no. answer. So please. <laughs> no, I will. I'll jump in though. And I'll say, cause you know, since I did get my book deal and you know, and it, I put it up on social media and everything and the amount of people like both people who I know, but also people who like, I haven't talked to in years, like sending me like messages on Facebook being like, Oh, I've never read a romance novel is yours full of sex like oh. that. Like, you know, and it's like, and so I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, and you know, and I even just like trying to explain it to even like closer family members, like even include, he'll probably listen to this, but like to my brother or yeah. my in-laws who, you know, kind of said the same thing. Like, you know, we've never read romance novels. Like your romance novels will be the only ones we read or something like that. And I was like, you know, in real life relationships, when you become physically intimate with someone, that's important, right? Yeah. I was like, if I'm writing a love story, why would I leave out that important aspect? Yeah. And, and I think that I hope it helped people kind of reframe their thinking. Of yeah. it because it is important. I mean, if you're literally reading a romance novel and it's a love story, or you're watching even, you know, a romantic movie and it's yeah. a love story. Yeah you know, that is usually a pivotal scene or yeah. a pivotal moment. And it really, and it, it for, and, and like you said, it informs the characters. And, and I love that, that you were like, you hope that there, people are missing something. If they yeah. skip over your sex scenes, that was like, I love, that's like, such a power move, Angelina. I mean, and it's yeah. one of those things, it's like, we're so societally conditioned about what sex is and, yeah. and it's been forever and it's going to continue to be forever. And it's not yeah. just about romance novels. It's how we talk about our sexual organs and how we, and I am, a, I'm a very modest person in terms of, you know, my own sex life and all those types and like mm -hmm. all of that, very modest. But yeah. when it comes to just the talking about sex and talking about our bodies and talking about the essential, the essentialness to our, you know, human beingness, it's like, yeah. We're just, uh, so there's layers upon layers upon layers that I do forgive people for to a certain oh, extent, yeah. as long as they don't come at me. Yeah. If they come at me, then we're going to have an entirely different like <laughs> interaction. <laughs> but it's just so many layered and romance gets caught in that. And, and again, mm -hmm. like rather than being considered, if we were men doing this, it would be considered the bravest genre ever. Yeah, of course. Like look exactly. how they're confronting the misconceptions about basic human reproduction but right. no, because yeah. we're women doing it you know yeah. but I do there's been seismic change in the last five years you mm -hmm. know in the last you know three years there's been seismic mm -hmm. change about how romance is perceived and so you know seismic change that hadn't been you know again I've been reading since 12 I got involved in the industry in 2000 and I yeah. really feel like seismic change started happening in like what 2014 2015 yeah. so Mm -hmm. you know I think the things were pretty static for a long time so I'm hoping yeah. the pace of change that's happening now will continue I mean hell we just got like a massive Netflix show so it's like yeah you know, exactly. I hope that there's continued change and I do think I think romance is the ability to affect the way we think a lot of uh, about a lot of things I 100% agree 100%. what are some of your um like what do you think makes a great sex scene so if you want to apply it to your own or if you can think of somebody who you think just writes stellar sex scenes, like what do you think are some hallmarks of what need to be there? You know, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, her early books, I think anyone who's looking, 
picking up a recent book, she mm-hmm. has has gone to more closed door and more women's fiction. But her early books, phenomenal sex scenes. Um, and I'm I'm just going to think of like the mm-hmm. absolute like I'm I have so many old school in my head. Yeah. Um. um uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking now. Of course, um, <laughs> Teresa Medeiros was really amazing. It kind of like foundational for me in understanding how to write a sex scene. Um, who did we just talk about with um, with Melanie on Bo- Boozy Book Broads? Oh gosh, we all who who wrote for source books. Oh, or, Laura Kinsale. Laura yeah. Kinsale. Yeah, like her phenom- phenomenal. The thing about romance is that it is emotionally evocative and physically evocative. Mm-hmm. That. Just as a horror book works best when like the hair is raising up on the back of your neck and that you're afraid of reading in the dark, a romance book works best and is most effective when you are feeling that emotion, you're having an emotional reaction to the couple meeting and the couple, you know, uh, meeting eyes and the couple brushing hands that you are having a chemical reaction. That really is it. It, it, that's when it works best, you know, mystery novel that, you know, who done it, who done it. And you're having an emotional or a a physiological reaction. That's where romance lives. And so stuff about how somebody smells and the warmth of their skin, all of that plays into how a romance work book works best. So for me, the best sex scenes are the one that has that same kind mm-hmm. of evocativeness. It's almost the author starts work writing in this like place. It's not just words. That the way they put those words together starts you as a reader feeling a little bit outside yourself. Mm-hmm. You know that you're so engaged in it, and they create such a seamless flow yeah. that you know they're using all of the senses and the. And so you're a little bit floating outside of yourself because of that power. But secondly, I think the thing that makes it really, really effective is when you could not put two other characters in that same scene and it would yeah. work. That mm-hmm. the hero is so aware of the partner. The heroine is so aware of the partner. All of the conflict that has been going on up to that point takes place. All of the um, friendship all of the affection, all of the things they've admired about each other, whether they, they do or don't want to feel that way, all of that has to be in part of the sex scene. And one of the things that's happened, I think, with romance getting written so quickly, I mean, that's mm-hmm. been an evolution mm-hmm. since I started reading and writing, is that um, I don't think people get to spend that much time crafting a scene mm. where it is 100% from the perspective of, you know, that only this one character could be having yeah. all of these thoughts, feelings, reactions. I think so yeah. many Texans have become, you know, various slots and various tabs. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it really, you shouldn't be able to put anyone else in there, that all mm-hmm. of the thoughts are as equally evocative as what body motions are going on. Sierra Simone is without a doubt my favorite modern writer, you know, especially with her sex scenes. And her whole books do are so evocative and are so at that kind of higher plane beyond just words like that you're reading that you, you know, her whole books that way, but her sex scenes are just, and the thing is, is Sierra doesn't blink. Like, <laughs> like eh, this might be, and she's, she, yeah. it, she, she does it in real life, the way she writes, she does not blink. And I think it does take a certain fearlessness Mm-hmm. also write a good sex scene you got to get it down and you're you 
wait to edit, you know, wait to revise. I think yeah. one of, you know, the other thing we're writing in a lot of fear because we, you know, the industry has opened up to so much. Yeah. A lot of people looking at you and talking about it. And so, um, you know, it's hard to write fearlessly and sex scenes are more, that's the most important thing in a sex scene is just write who these characters are and how they would be interacting physically together. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and speaking of our love of romances and um, genre fiction in general, they all come with tropes mm -hmm. and um, a conversation that we're always having in book club is about like tropes that we love, tropes that we hate. Um, with the series, Serving Sin is a bodyguard romance. That's one. Um, love, uh, Lush Money has marriage of convenience and then Hate Crush has a fake romance. Can you talk a little bit about your favorite tropes, tropes that you haven't written that you want to try, and then maybe some tropes that you don't ever want to see again? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's tropes is such a funny thing because it was not a word we were using a lot when, yeah. you know, yeah. 2000, like when I first started. And so it's almost, I've had to like become accustomed to that word in the last mm -hmm. five, 10 years because yeah. it, it's not innate to me. All of the things, again, I think when you've been reading romance for so long, so much of it becomes part of your DNA, like your writing DNA that you don't think about it. So yeah. I really like to think of tropes as hangers, like there are these hangers okay. and, and you can dress those hangers up any way you want to, yeah. you know, you can put any kind of clothing on them. And that's what is the joy of romance and the jo joy of each distinctive writer is that, you know, you take that wire hanger of, you know, enemies to lovers and it's going to look a million different ways. Mm -hmm. So each writer is going to dress it a million different ways. And that's, what's so fascinating about it. I obviously love enemies to lovers because I keep doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm actually writing the new series now and Yay. they're enemies to lovers and it's great. Yeah. Um, this is the first time I've ever written opposites attract and it's mm -hmm. so much fun. I mean, it's so this, this new book is so much fun. It's opposites attract. I've never written a bodyguard. That's not, I've written protector trope before okay. in fan fiction, but I'd never written a bodyguard trope before. And so that was super, super fascinating and like brought out all of my like daddy kink instincts that I didn't <laughs> know I had and they didn't get displayed in that book. And anytime they did, I kind of like was pulling back <laughs> because, but it, like, that's really, really fun stuff, especially, mm -hmm. especially if you're writing about powerful women right. and the man who says, I want to take care of you. Yeah. And she's like, okay, to a point you can take care of me, but you still need to listen to my words. You still, yeah. you know, you caring for me does not overcome my autonomy and my, my ability. Yeah. This is what I want. And I know what I want. Listen to my words. I know. <laughs> what I want. So bodyguard trope in 2021 with, you know, women really trying to stand on their own and saying, you know, again, like women shouldn't have to worry about protecting themselves. It should be men who don't hurt women, you know, like looking through all of these different, different ways we thought about men and women interacting. It was an interesting, you know, viewpoint to write the bodyguard trope in. Um, ones I really love, I obviously love Enemy That's the Lovers. I love, um, uh, yeah, it's, I really, I have a hard time thinking in tropes. I really yeah. love kind of on the Island, like, you know, isolated, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and, and I put the couple in serving sin through that too, to a certain extent that 
they travel in the book. They start in Guanajuato, Mexico. They end up going to a lake house in Kansas and they end up in the kingdom. And as they travel, they kind of shed the people around them that are keeping them apart from, yeah. from being together physically. And so I liked that idea of like isolating them, isolating them closer and closer. And um, I've always really loved that, like lost in the cabin, you know, mm-hmm. for six weeks or something, you know, like, oh, what? how are we going to spend our time? You know, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know what we'll do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't, you know, at the end of the day, Beyond Enemies to Lovers, just because I love starting books with a great big bang. Yeah. I don't know that I have a favorite trope. It's just loving the way that romance has always allowed me to, like, I can just slot five in to any, yeah. at any given time. Give me a rock star, give me a Royal, give me friends to lovers, give me second chance romance, mm-hmm. give me opposites attract, give me, I'm going to do just one bed for the first time in this new mm-hmm. series. And, I'm gonna, you know, give <laughs> that, and I'm going to just dress it up with the most insane things you've ever, ever seen. I love Those it. That I could probably do away with is I'm done with the alpha hole, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, and they still sell astonishingly. I'm personally really do. alcohol, alpha, you know, alcohol. Um, but beyond that, you know, and any kind of like virgin trope, mm-hmm. even as I'm saying that, as the words come out of my mouth, I, I am literally thinking, the other side of my brain is thinking, but what if you did X? Yeah, I don't know that I could ever shed any trope because then the challenge would be, but what could you do with it? Mm-hmm. Like, what if you all of the you way the challenge in it versus yeah. yeah versus like repelling you exactly yeah. like yeah. give me amnesia like mm-hmm. you know give me I I kind of have a secret baby in serving sin which is the weirdest thing in the world and give mm-hmm. me any of those and again I didn't think I don't think about them in tropes yeah just pop up but. If I have to think about them in tropes, I refuse. I kind of can't reject any because I'm like, okay, give me the alcohol, but then make him a sentiment. Like, what could I do with that to make him, you know, a man that I could, you know, welcome into my world, you know, and my heroine could welcome into her. Maybe the amnesia that somebody would be like, yeah, this, this t- could totally happen. You know? like, so yeah, there's an element where it's just the hanger. It's not the hanger's fault. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I always feel like I always, like if someone's like, what trope don't you like? And I say, oh, I don't think I like secret baby. And then I say that. And then immediately I can think of like three books that are secret baby books. I was like, no, actually I really like those. Maybe I like secret baby. I so think <laughs> when you hear it, when you read it done poorly or you read yeah, it, exactly. it's also yeah. when it's a given, like it's, a, it's a, they, it's, a, it's just throw like they throw it in there, but it's mm-hmm. not respected, you know, yeah. so we're writing these, many of us are writing these outlandish books. So mm-hmm. it's okay if they're fantasies, it's okay if they're fairy tales, you just have to let the reader embrace the world and you mm-hmm. kick the reader out of the world yeah. when you don't make it make sense when, you know, it's not well done. It, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways you could come out, but you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you do it well enough to let the reader embrace the world, you know, yeah. Yeah. fairy tales, you know. Yeah. That's a special way to think of it. I like that a lot. I love it. You know, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I want to move on and talk about how many of our listeners know that Angelina and I, along with our friend, Melanie Johnson, host the Boozy Book Broads, which is a YouTube chat show live every month hosted by Love Sweet Arrow, which is a romance bookstore in Chicagoland. Um, And I wanted to, yeah, I mean, this was such a fun, it was like, we did an event with Love Sweet Arrow and over last summer in during the height of the pandemic. And we had such a good time that we were like, we should just do this. And then Melanie really kicked our butts and was like, okay, let's do this. And had like a schedule and started inviting people. And (laughs) we were like, okay, (laughs) we're doing this. Yeah. And say even love sweet arrow. They were like, oh yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, But it's been so much fun. It is honestly something I know I look forward to every month. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So what have been some of your favorite moments from the Boozy Book Broads chats? Oh, some favorites. You know, it was so much fun. Like our first guest was Rosie Dannon and we just didn't know how it was going to work at all. And it was just really fun to have her on there. And her book was so like it was we were like her one of her first her first events too. like getting to celebrate that with her. And her book was so different and interesting. And then Diana Biller was Diane, Diana, Diana, Diana Diana Biller was our second guest and her book had been out for a year, but it was, but it was this Gothic, um, do you you remember the title again? Yeah. It's, um, the widow of Rose house, the widow of Rose Mm -hmm. Rose house, such an incredible book and had this great Gothic tone and she was so hilarious. Yeah. She was just so outrageously funny and, um, which, you know, writing the Gothic, like yeah. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't have you know 1920s I, I'm guessing a romance you wouldn't yeah. guess it but she was just super super funny and had her own ghost stories I loved Naima Simone recently we had Naima on and Naima has been a big like a supporter of mine but that was the first time we ever got to talk you know Aww, not yeah. I about to say in real life but obviously we weren't in the same room mm-hmm. it was so lovely to have, have an opportunity to finally like you know support her when she's done so much to support mm-hmm. me yeah and she's yeah. like one of the wisest I don't understand how she could be so wise and so funny and so fun <laughs> oh, yes and write great sex scenes all at the same time like, write, like a million books a year yeah obnoxious it's too much <laughs> yeah. talent wrapped up it in one much. person <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, yeah, that makes me happy. I was good. Yeah, I think, um, well, we just, or a couple of weeks ago, we're recording this in March, we had Tiff Marcello on, and her book is actually a little bit more women's fiction, but there's still very romantic elements in it. But like her chat was really, I think it was really special because she talked about her life as a military wife, which plays an important part in her book. And I really enjoyed that chat too. Like, yeah, but I feel like all of our guests, you know, we had Jackie Lau on and we just talked about food for an hour, basically. Like, love it. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, it's been such, such a joy to do it. And I'm excited that we're going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep, keep rolling with it. And yep. hopefully we'll be able to do an in-person boozy book broads at some point. Um, love it. And your anniversary, you know? Yeah, maybe. That's a good idea, Gwen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's indicative because we always run long and it's like, it's <laughs> having a good time because we yeah. always run long. <laughs> and no one minds. I love that all of the viewers stay and they're, yeah. and every time we, one of us says we're over time and they're like, keep talking. You're yeah. fine. <laughs> so 
That's what yeah. they came for. We still have drinks in our cups. We still yeah. Well, speaking about things that bring us uh, joy and comfort and happiness, um, one thing that we take very seriously here at Fresh Fiction Podcast is that we love talking about what is bringing us happiness and joy. Um, what are some things that are making you happy this week? Some things well, getting outside. Like, oh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting my vaccine on March 31st. My first Yay! shot. So Amazing. That's making me ecstatic. My husband's two shots down. My parents are both vaccinated and like fabulous. So like that, and my son is my um, 22 year old son is now eligible as well. So that is just making me wildly, wildly excited and happy. We got outside on um, this weekend and just like the, you know, I, as, as a writer, I, it's really easy for me to be an introvert. It's really easy for me to, and it's been like this lovely saving grace being on deadline. Um, I released hate crush in May of last year. Serving sin was due August of last year. Mm -hmm. I moved, I had a home and all of those things were actually a huge blessing Mm -hmm. because it allowed me to put a lot of my anxiety about a pandemic, you know, into that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and at the end of the day, like I spend eight hours a day sitting around writing about hot people. So it's yeah. like, if there's anywhere to put my brain and my anxiety, it's like, I'll put it there. And yeah. so, but the flip side of that, because that was relatively easy that, you know, at least like where my brain power was, it's coming out of that and like re-engaging with people and re-going out in the world and re, you know, and um, that's gonna actually be an effort. Like it is going to be an effort for me to do that. And so doing things like going to the Arbor Reading that we did this weekend yeah. and um, being out in the world is really, it's, it's feeding me again. Like I Good. think every writer needs to fill the well and just being out in the world. I'm mm-hmm. trying to walk more, I'm trying to exercise more, I'm trying yeah. to watch eat more and as not doing those things was comforting at the beginning of the pandemic like <laughs> doing them like I kind of like really focusedly seeing to my health now and mm-hmm. not be, so I can look good in a bikini yeah. on in but just so you're ex- so you can pull eight hour days of writing exactly you know? yeah. have the fuel and energy to do that yeah I want to yeah. be doing this when I'm 90 and that's what it's about yeah. it's about you know the longevity and and being a healthy writer like mm-hmm you know, I, I might get old, but my desire to write sex scenes won't. So good. <laughs> keep doing it. There's nothing so, I yeah. hate than the author. That's yeah, like, that I'm so really enough, really making me <laughs> happy right now. That yeah. Awesome. That's great. I think that's awesome. So you've kind of mentioned you've been working on stuff. So I don't know how much you can say, but what can readers expect from you next? Can you tell us anything? Yeah. I just okay. signed the contract. So that should be Yay. coming out. Okay. Up. Soon. Yeah. So I've signed another three book contract with um, Karina Press. Yay, awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I love working with them. My editor, Carrie Buckley, is one of the best in the business. And mm-hmm. I turn in books that I don't expect them to kind of push boundaries, but they do. Again, I just follow my characters, but they do push boundaries. And Carrie has been such a strong proponent of my voice and my themes and so you know when they were like yeah what's next I was like oh you want more I can do that <laughs> like, yeah awesome so yeah we just signed a, a three-foot contract with Karina Press and the next series is going to about, be about three Mexican-American sisters who returned to their small town in Kansas to revive the family bar that they didn't realize they loved 
So that sounds awesome. Yeah. My, my whole family is from Southeast, my Mexican side, my, my Mm -hmm. mom's Caucasian, my mom's white, my dad's full-blooded Mexican, but second generation American. I'm Mm -hmm. half Mexican, but third generation American. But my whole side of that family, my whole Mexican side of the family is from a small area, a small town in uh, Southeast Kansas and got there in the 1910s and people just stayed and kept having babies. So yeah. tons of Mexicans in this small, you know, Mexican-Americans mm-hmm. uh, in this town in Kansas, small town. And it's a story that always surprised people and a story that like, I got, get tired of like, exp- I, I get mm-hmm. tired of explaining it when people are like, yeah. this is what I get. Where are you from? <laughs> Kansas. No, where are you originally from? Oh. <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's taking a little bit of that energy, but also like this idea of really like, really wanting to tell this a story about who Americans were, who Americans are, who Americans will be, and really wanting to reflect that in these characters are very important to me and talking about this multi huge multi generational family in this little town and um, I, I apparently am just drawn to alcohol. So the first series was about wine. The second series is about a bar, yeah. um, but it's about coming home and, and, and making amends and making peace with, with a lot of things and uh, having really hot sex while you're doing it. So yeah, I'm super excited. And uh, the words are coming really nicely on the page. Oh, that's such a good feeling. To start yeah. a series, it's huge. It's a yeah. big, it's like, yeah. Uh, I can do this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a miracle. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. a miracle. Yeah. So um, Angelina, before we let you go, where can readers connect with you online? And is there anything else that you'd like to plug that we should be looking out for? Oh, sure. Um, so best place to find me is on my website. It's angelinamlopez.com. I always use the M because Angelina Lopez is kind of the Jane Smith of the Angelina M. Lopez.com from there. I've got a newsletter. I've got free, uh, free short story you can read and lots of excerpts and um, like uh, unpublished chapters and things like that on my website and blog and all of that stuff you can keep up to date with. From there, you can find me on all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, at at Angelina M. Lowe is uh, L-O is generally my handle on my different social media aspects. And then to plug, so Serving Sin comes out May 25th. It's obviously the big one. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be it. I can't can't think of anything other than that. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, go buy the book. yeah yeah that's the best thing that's the best uh, call to action that we could give go by the yeah exactly that's right (laughs) well this was amazing Angelina thank you so much for stopping by the fresh fiction podcast yeah thank you guys so much for having me this is really lovely and I love what you guys are doing on fresh fiction it's it's really really fantastic I love what you're doing so keep writing (laughs) yeah thank you thanks so much And we're back. Wasn't that such a fun interview with Angelina? Her book, Serving Sin, is now available wherever books are sold. And hot tip, our friends over at Love Sweet Arrow, the romance bookstore in Chicago, have signed copies of all of Angelina's books available right now. I was literally there when she signed them. 
Um, oh, yeah. A couple, a few weeks ago at this point. Yeah. A few weeks ago, she was in Chicago with one of her sons it lives in Chicago and he, and she came to visit and we were like, let's meet up at the store. And I just watched her sign like a mountain of books. It was That's great. so fun. Um, it was really, it was really fun because we had never met in person at that point. Oh, that is cool. So it was great because, you know, we interact on a regular basis doing boozy book broads with me, Melanie or Melanie Johnson and Angelina. So that was really fun. So let's talk about our goals from last episode. Last episode, I was working on patience (laughs) with everything. (laughs) And I think like, like I kind of said at the start about summer break happening and we just, we had this time to really not have you know, we didn't have a a strict schedule and having just like a week of just kind of doing whatever I think was very much needed. My husband, like I I mentioned, is currently camping right now. It was probably time for us to spend some time. crazy but it, it was time and then you know and I'm going on a trip to California to see my family out there just me my mom and I are going in a couple of weeks so it is like needed yeah <laughs> and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun so I think I'm I'm doing well with patience with patience yeah now it's just uh counting down the days until your trip. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So how was your goal? This oh week? man. So my goal the last time we chatted was unpacking, was trying to get my life out of boxes. I say that as I look around my office and see nothing's in box. There's only one box on the floor, but okay. everything's on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will be, it's coming along though. Um, I've got the bedroom done. The kitchen's done. The living room is coming along. So just have to figure out my office. And I think that'll be an ongoing struggle until the two weeks before someone decides to come see me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. Um, What's your goal for this week? So I'm just going to continue that goal for a little bit longer because it's so close. Like that's the only reason I'm going to keep it. This is like, this is so I feel very confident that um, I'll have my office done by the next time we talk. So Good. that'll be exciting. Yeah. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it'll be done. Yeah. It'll be in some, some way organized. Yeah. So <laughs> what about you? I am sending you good thoughts for your goal for your upcoming goal. Well, so my goal is kind of a cheat because I've already started doing this, but I want to mm. keep doing it. Awesome. And that's to stop drinking coffee. and just see how I feel I don't know I just when um I'm trying to think I two weeks ago I had a sinus infection and I really wasn't drinking coffee I was just drinking tea yeah and I was like maybe I should just keep doing this as I started to feel better Mm -hmm. I was like oh maybe I should just do this because I just felt different. I don't know. And I was like, that's really the only, the major thing that, and also I was just like sitting still, I think, yeah. um, because I couldn't do it. I, you know, my head felt like it was going to explode, but yeah, I was like, maybe I'm going to stop drinking coffee or at least not as much. I think this has been like a continuing conversation since mm-hmm. we started this podcast is my coffee consumption. So I'm just going to see what happens. I'm not going to drink coffee. And then, yeah. So I think it's been about two weeks And I think I've had like two cups of coffee in my, like that I made myself. Yeah. 
And then I think, and I've gone, like I mentioned National Donut Day last week. Um, and so I got a coffee, you know, we went to Dunkin' Donuts and I got a, co- I got a coffee there. So, but that's really been it. So I think I'm just yeah. going to keep going and see what it's like. And then I got to, I have to figure out a new drink at Starbucks. Good luck. I'm thinking really good <laughs> thoughts for you. I think this is a really, really good goal, but it's also really hard. So it is hard. Good. And I, I also wonder too, cause I feel like I drink way more tea than mm-hmm. I do coffee, which mm-hmm. is, I think really is fine. Cause it's mostly water, but that'll be interesting too. It'll just be interesting. It's going to be an interesting experiment. So let's move into our final segment, which is what's bringing us comfort and joy. Um, so tell me more about what's bringing you comfort and joy. Cause it sounds wonderful. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Cliff and I are, uh, we, we bought a couch that came in a box, which I know, I guess a lot of couches come in a box, but this one required us to assemble it ourselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we saw, I guess a year ago, um, during the election, just like le- everything leading up to the election and watching MSNBC and, and civil unrest and everything. Um, one of the commercials that was always in our face last year was Love Sack Sactionals mm-hmm. um, couches. And I thought it was hilarious because I was like, who is going to buy a beanbag couch? <laughs> That's stupid. Well, it's not a beanbag couch. Um, and I, uh, spoiler alert, we did. We bought a beanbag yeah. couch. Um, it's made of feathers, so it's fine. But like it's it. so cool because it's like modular. So you mm-hmm. can pick it up, move it around. It's very light. Um, we can both have like chaise parts. Our dog mm-hmm. has a little spot in the middle. Um, it's really comfortable. If we don't like the covers, we get tired of them. We can go online and order new ones that fit nice. perfectly. It's, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> the first time I got to go to a mall post pandemic was here in Bellevue to go and try the couch out. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, let's go sit on this couch. So yeah, it's really cool, but it's also really funny because every time I put it together, I start singing the song, which I don't know the melody or the lyrics enough to sing it out loud for you guys. (laughs) Um, Because I love you, Danielle. So I'm not going to do that to you at all. Um, But as I'm building this couch, I was like, singing the commercial the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, That's you guys so need to get, funny. so if you want a coupon for your love sack sectional, just let me know. In our basement, we have like the Costco version of this. Mm-hmm. Don't think Costco sells it. It's like, as soon as they get them, they sell out. Yeah. If we were just, we got ours, I think when we moved into this house, so it's been almost four years and we were like, we just happened to be there. And I was like, no, this is the couch that everyone yeah the Costco couch that people want. And then, but then, you know, and then like looking more into it, I was like, oh, it's really like a dupe for love sack. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I'm like scrolling down, looking through and I was like, cause we do need, we need a different, not that couch. We need a different, we need a new couch. And I don't think we're getting it anytime soon, but I may be, maybe mm-hmm. we need that referral code. <laughs> and they have good deals too throughout they the year. Do. I've only heard great things about love sack couches and the big beanbag chairs and like all the stuff. And again, this is kind of an ongoing thing, but I really decided to simplify my skincare routine because I just felt like I had like too many things. I was like, why do I have this face mist? Why do I have like four serums? I don't even know what they do. They just sounded nice. (laughs) So I really just decided to like pare down my skin, skincare routine to like a cleanser, a toner sometimes a serum and then moisturizer. And 
I, so I, I started doing that and I started, it made me like pay attention mm-hmm. to like what was going on in there. I get really bad hormonal acne. So I was like, what can I do to like help out with that? Um, and so I finally came like the kind of, I think like the, the best part of my new skincare routine is this, it's called a liquid exfoliant, but it's kind of, it's like a, it's like almost like a toner and a serum combined. Like it's, it's like in between, it's like heavier than just like liquid, (laughs) like just like a spray (laughs) or whatever, whatever you put, you know, you put on like a cotton ball and put on your face. Like it's a little bit heavier, but it's the Paula's choice skin perfecting 2% BHA liquid (laughs) exfoliant. And I really like it. I I think it's like helped my skin quite a bit. I feel like my skin is always like in is a process and it always has been. I've (laughs) always had acne. It's always just been a thing. Um, But yeah, I really like it. And it's simplified. Like, and like I said, simplifying my skincare routine has like made me very happy and to like see results, Mm -hmm. all of that. That's very nice. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, Danielle, we've come to the end of our episode. It's always such a blast, but the end comes so quickly sometimes. It really does. Um, Yeah. So just as a reminder, you can follow all of us on, you can follow at Fresh Fiction. And then I am at DJ underscore dresser. And I'm at Real Vixen, R-E-E-L-V-I-X-E-N. Subscribe, follow, (laughs) and review us on your favorite podcast app. I just thought that was funny. Oh, man. I know because Apple podcasts are always changing things up. They're keeping they are always changing. Toes. 